and a very big welcome to you if you're joining us for the very first time. My name is Pastor Craig and I'm really excited about the message series that we're in right now entitled Conscience. It's a series about that small still voice on the inside of you that promotes you, that pushes you on to do good, to walk out the right things in life, do right every time. And that's called integrity. And really that's what your conscience is here to help you do, is to shape your integrity. This session, we're gonna be having a look at making wise decisions with your conscience, making sure that your conscience is making you and pressing you towards godly wisdom. Really excited about today's message. Let's have a word of prayer and then we'll jump into that. Father, we thank you so very much very much that we can grow, we can learn, we can be shaped by you. We hunger for more of you. We know that the way we do things is not good. It's not true. It's, it's not always the right way to go. But when we do things your way, there's always a good result. It might be difficult in the moment, Father, but we know that the outcome is always beneficial. And so, Father, we ask that you open up our hearts and our minds to what you have in store for us today. And we pray this now in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Well, it's a really exciting time to come together as we just chat about this conscience week number six, wise at heart. And the reason I think it's pretty uh, impressive is that this is the first time, I don't know if you're noticing behind me that the, the stage has changed slightly. Well, this is the very first time that we are recording here in our Boswell location. And right now the chat room hosts will be able to put up a link to our video or our, at least our Google Maps page where you can find out exactly where Boswell in Oklahoma is. It's a small little place. It's got a lot of power, a lot of things happening, and a great congregation here at our Boswell location that just absolutely loves God and loves the Word. Well, let's jump into the, the, the Word. We know that our current series is entitled um, Conscience, and it's based on Isaiah chapter 20, 30, verse 21. It says this, Your ears will hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left. You see, the scripture telling us that God has placed in us His principles, His moral fiber. In fact, conscience or scripture is defined as in conscience is saying is this, it's God's moral laws written on the heart of man. God's moral laws written on the heart of man. You see, God wrote into us a voice, into us a process of keeping us going this way or going that way, a, a process of helping us make decisions, having conversations, with him and hearing from him. And if our conscience is that guide, for those of you who are joining us here in the room, if our conscience is that guide, surely at home as well, you can agree that our conscience then is an important thing to look at. If our conscience is guiding us, if our conscience is leading us, if our conscience is telling us which way to go, this way or that way, according to Isaiah 30 verse 21, we better pay attention to it. We better give it some serious attention and make sure that we're building and shaping it. As part of the series, and we're going to have a look at this in a little bit again, again today, 1 Corinthians 15.33 said to us, hey, that we must watch who we hang out with, because if we hang out with the wrong kinds of people, our conscience and the voice of our conscience is going to go, go slowly dim. Luke chapter 11 and verse 28 was what we discussed last week as regards hearing the Word of God and then keeping it. Hearing our conscience speak through the Word of God and then keeping it. Remember, we spoke about 
being habitually obedient to God. And what does that mean? It means having the power to make the right decisions, the difficult decisions. It means having the wisdom to walk out some of the decisions that you need to make. It needs having confidence in the decisions that you are making, confidence in the things that you've decided upon being with God. And then finally, the faith to start walking out those decisions once we have made them. Now, remember last week, it was quite a powerful session. And for those of you in the room and at home, you can have a look at those notes and recap that message. If you have missed it, the link is in the chat room right now, and you can click on that uh, at a later time and listen to last week's message. But it was all about the power of making the right decision, the power of making the right decision at the right time. Sometimes when we're making decisions, I'm sure you guys will agree with me, is that we need to step up. We need to have power. We need to have some strength to make a decision. And we re remember we said this about God, that if you're becoming the right who, He will make sure, help you choose the right do. Remember that? If you're becoming the right who. Power in making a decision is when we make a decision that's gonna build you towards being like Christ, well, that's gonna be a much better decision. And if you're driven by the right why, well, then God will lead you to the right what. If you're driven by the right why, God is helping you shape your motives. He's helping you shape what you're thinking about, but why you are thinking and going in a certain direction. Today, I wanted to take a look at what it means to make wise decisions. You see, sometimes in the moment, we need to take a power decision. I'm at a party and certain things are unfolding at this party and I know that it's going to be a bad place at the end of the evening. I take a power decision in the moment. I turn around on my heels and I leave because I know that I could get into some serious trouble if I continue hanging out with that group of friends that's having that party. Well, that's a power decision. A wise decision is perhaps the one that you have to take because you've either gotten yourself into a predicament and you're gonna to have to take a wise decision to slowly but surely walk out that decision. Sometimes a wise decision is not in the moment. You're not gonna see the results as soon as you take the decision. You decided to be with Jesus many years ago, for example, you're only starting to see the results now as it winds out, as it becomes more and more impactful in your life. Jesus changes you and shapes you. That was a wise decision, but it's taking many years in fact, it'll take the rest of your life to walk out that decision. The decisions that may take some time, the ones that we need to really dwell on, the ones we need to get advice on, the ones we need to speak to and listen to and hear from God on, those are the ones that are going to take a little while for us to start seeing the results of that decision. God doesn't always show us exactly what He wants us to do. No, He rather gives us wisdom to help us make the right decision. Oh, how many of us have walked around going, oh, tell me what to do, Father. Tell me how to make, what must I do? What must I do? And we just hear crickets. God doesn't speak to us. And we're going, but God, here I am begging you for an answer and you're not answering me. Well, God doesn't always show us specifically what to do, but He's given us wisdom and He's given us the ability to work through some of His principles to make the right decision. Wise decisions require endurance. 
Wise decisions require knowing what the right way to go is and then wisely walking out that, that way, wisely walking out that process. Wise decisions aren't, aren't a, a sow and reap immediately process. No, wise decisions are listening, hearing, debating with God, debating with others. But the reason we don't like to take wise decisions is because they usually have the longest term effect. And we, as a, as, a, as a human race, have been wired to try and have perfection in mind. We, we read a scripture that says to us, hey, you know what? I've got the perfect will of God installed. I, 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 want, I want the perfect will of God for my life. I don't want 99% of God's will. No, I want 100% of God's will in my life. I can tell you now that if I had just enough of God's will in my life that was the size of a mustard grain, I would be able to move mountains. That's what Scripture tells us. We don't need to be perfect. We just need to be wise, walking with God and not walking under our own understanding. But we struggle to decide, don't we? We hold back on deciding because we know that if we take this decision or that decision, it's going to have long-term effects. And it might be perfect for us right now, but we worry and we stress, well, will it be perfect for us in five years? Will it be perfect for us in 10 years? Will it still be perfect when, I, when I'm having grandchildren? When, with this decision that I'm about to make is that huge, it's going to be so huge that it's going to probably impact multiple generations of my family. In fact, psychologists have shown that how I can conduct myself with my wife and how I manage my marriage will actually impact five generations. That's how long a decision or how much a decision can impact lives. And as a result, these big wise decisions, we tend as human beings to let just happen. You know, the, the one about where we're going to live, the, the big decision about what job to take, the, the decisions that really have long-term effects. How many of those have we really sat down and applied wisdom to, gone through a process with God in making that decision? Or how many of the big decisions in life, well, that kind of just happens to you. They just kind of come along. And before you know it, you've made a big decision that should have had wisdom applied to it, but life has just washed past you and a big decision has been made just in the spur of the moment. We all want to make that perfect decision, the one that's going to give us the perfect body, the perfect vacation, the perfect marriage, the perfect everything. Well, Solomon was a similar kind of guy to us. Now, for those of you who don't know the story of Solomon, well, Solomon was this king that came to power and the first thing that he did was he asked God for a gift. Kind of like uh, the genie in the bottle. He, he rubbed the genie and uh, you know, the genie popped out and looked down at Solomon, not Aladdin, and said, hey, I can grant you one wish. What will it be? And so in his process of becoming this king, he realized that, hey, he could have asked for the riches of the world. He could have asked for many things that would have impacted his life for the immediate. But what he did was he said, hang on, I'm first of all going to go up and I'm going to worship God. I'm going I'm to burn some animal sacrifices, uh, a thousand of them. And then he's going to ask God for that one gift. Have a look in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 7. If you need to know where Proverbs is, Proverbs is kind of halfway through the Bible, just after the book of Psalms. It says this, Getting wisdom, he says, is the wisest thing you can do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Now, how many of us read that scripture and go, Amen, wisdom and good judgment. That's what we need. 
But how many of us, like Solomon, promote wisdom and good judgment above all else in our lives? In the moment, we make a decision because it seems like the right thing to do and the right thing to get and the right thing to have and the perfect solution for the, for the moment. But at the back of our minds, that conscience voice is going, hang on, hang on, slow down. This is a wise, big decision. You need to get some counsel. You need to get some advice. But we jump in anyway, because right now in the now, we prioritize what the reward will be if we take the decision right now. But Solomon says that getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do and being able to put yourself in a position of sound judgment is the best thing that you can do. do. And how many of us as well have, have turned around and said, oh, if I only knew now, then, sorry, maybe I'm getting it right. If I only know now, no, if I only knew then what I know now, that's right. If I only know then what I know now. If I look back at my first job, the first business I used to run, the, the first ministry that I used to lead, the, and I look back and I go, wow, if only I could apply what I know now, if only I could apply the sound judgment and the wisdom that I have now into that situation. Well, you know what? There is a little bit of experience that comes with living life, but God's wisdom, God's sound judgment is available to you when you're 18, when you're 16, when you're 12, when you're 86, when you're 905, it doesn't matter what age you are, God's wisdom is available to you. With God's wisdom, we never have to look back and go, if only I knew then what I know now. God will always clarify. God will always want to help you and show you exactly what you should do. Don't worry if you're one of those people that kind of goes through life and thinks, oh my word, I don't make decisions well. I, I always wait. I always procrastinate. You're talking to one. Well, maybe there's something better just around the corner. So I'm not going to take the decision now. I'm not going to wait on God for that now because maybe it's going to come up better a little bit later. Well, the greatest apostle in the Bible, the apostle Paul, he, he wrote the biggest chunk of the New Testament. He, he planted more churches. In fact, he was fundamentally that missionary that got the whole church organization going. He wrote letters. He was imprisoned. He was Mr. Church. He, he just did it all. He, he, was, he, was in, he was a huge leader. In fact, you, you don't even ever think of Paul when you read him as being indecisive and not being able to make a wise decision. Well, have a look at what happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 6 through 9. Have a look there. It says this, Perhaps I will stay with you, says Paul, for a while. Maybe it'll be a week. Maybe it'll be a month. Perhaps I'll even spend the whole winter with you so that you can help me on my journey wherever I might go. Verse 7, for I do not want to see you now and make a, only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits, he says. But I will stay on in Ephesus until Pentecost, because a great door for effective work is open to me, and there may be many who oppose me. Wow, I've never ever looked at Paul and thought to myself, well, here's a guy that struggles to make a decision. He, he might go here. He may stay for a while. He, he probably will be there if God wants him to. Maybe that whole sentence structure is full of maybes and perhapses and maybe if this happens and ifs, ands, and buts. He, he, he's, he's obviously struggling to make a decision. In our illusion for perfection, we kind of want to make decisions that kind of produce our lives into a highlight reel. It kind of produces a process in our lives that 
We, we kind of want everything to be right and perfect. We're afraid of this imperfect world, and so we struggle to make perfect decisions. Well, I want to tell you a small secret. We're going to mess up. We're going to make the wrong decisions. We're going to go left when our conscience is telling us to go right. We're going to make decisional changes in our lives and how we make decisions. Sometimes even how we make decisions is going to be imperfect. The only way we're going to be able to get to perfection is to turn towards the perfect father who knows exactly what it is that we should be doing. If you're having a path that is smooth at the moment, there's no major problems in the world at the moment. You, you don't have any issues. Or maybe you're journeying through life right now and you have massive resistance and struggles. Maybe you're just like Paul, who quibbled over making a simple decision as regards where he needed to travel. Here was a guy who started these big churches and all he needed was some help in making a decision. All he needed was some direction in making a decision. Well, maybe that's you. Well, today, hopefully, what we're about to discuss will give you three steps in helping you make the right decisions with God. Note I said the right decisions and not the perfect decisions. At some point in your life, no matter what you do, you will maneuver yourself into a position and you're gonna cry out and say, God, help me. How many of us have not been in that situation in our lives already? How many of us are already in that space in our lives and we, we've just maneuvered ourselves into a financial position, a relational position, some form of position, and what is happening now in our lives, we're crying out to God for help. Any decision that you turn to God to seek His wisdom on will be a better decision than the one you took to get into that situation that has you crying out for God. Surely, if I can just turn up my directional, my decision-making process with my conscience, and I can just add a mustard grain of God's wisdom into my decisions, I might not take the perfect decision because I'm not perfect. I might not be making a perfect decision and I might not get the perfect outcome. But surely, if I sow some of God's wisdom into my decision-making just a little bit, my decisions will become better. My decisions will improve. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20. For those of you in the room, you can look it up in your Bibles on your YouVersion app. For those of you at home, you can click on the, on the link there on the tab and uh, we'll be able to, if you'll be able to follow along with us in the scripture. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse 20 says this. Walk with the wise and become wise for a companion of fools suffers harm. We've already dealt with this first process, walk. Step number one, you need to look at who you're walking with. Remember in one of our first messages on conscience, we said 1 Corinthians 15.33 tells us that if we hang out with people that are not wise, that are not listening to their God-trained conscience, we will find ourselves slipping into the same behavior. Who are you walking with? Who are you walking with right now? Who are your friends? Some people say this, show, show me a man's friends and I'll show him his future. That scripture says, if I walk with the wise, I'll become wise. Now, 
when that scripture says, a companion of fools suffers harm. I remember a story when I was just 19 years of age. I, I, I just got myself a, a semi-decent job. Um, I was working part-time whilst I was studying for my paramedics. Uh, I just got back from, from serving my country and, and, and doing a few things there. And I, I just got back into some vestige of rhythm and I managed to land myself a part-time job which enabled me to buy a, a vehicle. Now, it was an older vehicle, but it had a, a redone engine in this thing. This thing took off. It had turbos. It had, now I'd only been driving for a year because in South Africa, we start driving at the age of 18. And I, and I think I was a few months away from my 20th birthday. So a year and a half, I'd been driving. And I decided that on my next job, I would load the car up with some of my mates and we would take off uh, for this job that I had to go and do. It was about a nine hour drive where I had to go. And I thought, well, while I'm working, they, they can be spending some spare time in the place we would be. But in the evenings, we'd have a good party and we'd do all the things that we would do at 19, 20 years of age. Well, on the way home and on the way there, I, I got the scripture. The scripture came to mind. Companions of fools suffers harm. Because you put three or four 19-year-olds in a high souped-up vehicle driving across the, the country, you add some alcohol and you add some partying into that and harm will come. And it did to us. Major motor vehicle accident and it was a setback relationally. In fact, to this day, some of those friends, we still struggle to communicate because of a decision I took based on my friends and what my friends were doing, I was influenced to do something that wasn't wise. You can't take four 20-year-olds, throw them in a high-performance vehicle and expect good results. It's almost impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. Walk with wise people. And what this does is as you walk with wise people, as you walk, you will grow in wisdom. You will grow in making wise decisions. When you fellowship with people that are wise in their decision-making, I know what it's like sometimes when, we, when we're doing our finances or we're doing our taxes or we're doing our budgets at home and we sit with somebody that knows all about that kind of thing. You just have to sit back and go, wow. But not only do you sit back and admire their ability, you start to learn from them. Next time you do your finances, next time you do your taxes and you're sitting with somebody who's wise, you're not going to ask the same questions you asked last year. You're going to get wiser and wiser in that specific field. Keep on walking with the wise and you will find that you grow wiser. It's not just a one-time meeting, this walking with people of wisdom. It's not just popping into your local shrink or your local psychiatrist once a month to get a power phrase to live your life by. It's not just picking up a good self-help book every now and then and flicking through the pages and thinking, well, I have all wisdom. No, walking, walking with wise people means a journey. It means effort. It means that we actually have to take time to develop wisdom from the people that we are walking with. The crazy thing is, if we walk out in stupidity, we walk with the unwise, we're also investing just as much time in becoming unwise. If you're walking with people that aren't building your conscience, aren't amplifying God's word in your life, well, then you are walking with the unwise. And the same results will happen. You will slowly start to lose wisdom. And then you'll be keeping a companion of fools and you will suffer harm. 
You might even right now be in a situation that's come about because you walked with the wrong people. When I first believed, when I first came to understand the love of Jesus Christ in my life, there were three things that I wanted to be. I wanted to be an awesome spiritual revelation teacher for God. I wanted to receive the Word of God. I wanted to, I wanted to drink in. I wanted to know that I knew the Bible. I knew His Word and I could impart that to others. The second thing that I knew I wanted to do was become a good husband. Now, Leanne might tell you that that is very much a work in process. That's very much a journey. That's very much a walk that I'm going on. And the third thing that I wanted to become was I wanted to become a good dad. Those around me at the time didn't have those qualities. I didn't have somebody to the left or to the right of me that could show me how to become a better husband. I didn't have to the left or the right of me someone who could show me how to really receive the Word of God and really get revelation of the Word of God and impart that to others. I didn't have somebody that was a good role model from a perspective of this whole process of becoming a good dad. Those around me were broken. Those around me were those 19-year-olds that were wild and living free. Those around me were pretty much the broke and the hurting and the confused. And quite frankly, I was the unwise as much as they were unwise in my life. My son, Kevin, who for your information today is sitting just on the other side of the camera, operating the camera that I'm looking at right now. My son, Kevin, was born into my life and Jesus used him to completely and radically change how I received wisdom. Because as I held my son for the very first time, I realized I had absolutely no knowledge and no friends who could show me how to become the dad that my heart wanted to become for this wonderful son that I have. I didn't have anybody around me. And slowly but surely, I allowed people to come into my life that were wise. I, I started attending a father's course at the local Methodist church. I, I started listening to older people. I started taking advice from my father-in-law who had reared a wonderful family. I have to say that because it was, I'm talking about my wife. It was, a, it was a beautiful thing to slowly but surely start to realize that even though some of the things they had to tell me, even though some of the things they had to share with me, well, that hurt. It was painful, but it was wise. By the time I, I got to hold my daughter Bianca in my hands as, as a father, I realized that I'd grown, but I still had so much more to learn. I had to learn how to be a dad to a daughter. And then by the time my third son came along, my, my, my third child, my, my, my youngest son came along, Kyle, well, I'd grown some more, but, but now I had some more to do. Now I had to start speaking to parents who had three children. And, and by the time that, that Kyle got a little bit older, my, my oldest was now getting into his teen years. Now I had to speak to parents that had teenagers. And I, I looked around for teenagers that were of good moral conduct, that were standing up. I found mentors that my teenagers respected and brought them into their lives. Why? Because I realized that my decisions around how I parented my children would have probably the longest effect of a decision I could ever make. I had to get wise. I had to make the right decisions. Even today, I make the wrong decisions as a parent. I definitely make the wrong decisions as a husband. And I definitely don't hear from God as loudly as I would long to hear from Him all the time. But man, when I look back at how unwise I was in certain areas of my life, I can only attribute the wisdom of God flowing into my life in these areas because I got around people who were wise. 
To this day, I'm so blessed to serve in this ministry, to have wise men and women around our family helping us, guiding us, a sounding board when we need to ask those tough questions. I don't go to the folly of fools. I go to the counsel of the wise, people who've stood up and become trusted in my life. It's impossible to live right, life right if I have the wrong friends. So point number one about wisening your heart, about creating a wise voice in your conscience is be willing to walk a journey with your friends that are wise. Be willing to go the long haul with your friends. The second thing is brought out for us in James chapter one and verse five. It says this, James one and verse five, kind of halfway through the New Testament, if you're looking for that. If any of you lacks wisdom, it says, you should ask God. If any of you are lacking wisdom, you should ask God. Ask. That's the second thing. But who do we ask? We need to ask God. Why? Because that scripture tells us if we ask, He will give generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. Now I can guarantee that my young son, 13-year-old son, Kyle, thinks that he knows more than me. I can pretty much guarantee you if I had to try and tell him how to set up his Xbox or play a certain game, he would probably know more than me. But I have a number of years, and I'm not telling you how many because you can do the math and work out how old I am. I have a number of years more experience than Kyle. Anybody looking at me or looking at my 13-year-old son would be able to say, well, I think there's more wisdom with your dad. Now, Kyle might object to this at a whole different set of levels, especially when I tell him it's time to get out some exercise instead of playing on his Xbox. He, he might say that that's not wise counsel. Well, I know that it is wise counsel. I know that it's better. And so I know that asking my 13-year-old son for advice in some areas might be beneficial, but it won't always necessarily be wise. Now, in the same way as no one can quibble that I have more wisdom than my 13-year-old son, Surely we can also stand up and say that we understand that God, our Father, has more wisdom than us. He has more wisdom. He has more life experience. He's seen more lives go right and go wrong. He's seen more parents become better parents and he's seen more parents become worse parents. He's seen marriages succeed. He's seen marriages break up. Surely this is the place that we should be asking for advice, asking God for advice. The reason that I know that he wants us to have wisdom in relating with one another and relating to him is because we pick up the Bible. The Bible is God's account with man. He's saying, this is what I've learned from you. This is what I've seen in you. This is what I acknowledge happens when a situation gets like this, when a situation gets like that. And all we need to do is ask God for that kind of wisdom, that kind of knowledge. But some of us walk around thinking that we know everything. Some of us walk around thinking that we know nothing. And some of us think that we walk around and we kind of know a little bit, but not enough to make any wise decisions. Whatever your situation as regards what you feel your wisdom or your understanding is, it's nowhere near as much as what God can provide you in your life. If you think you know anything, you need to learn a little bit about pride and humility. If you think you know everything. If you think you know nothing, you need to build yourself up and read the promises of God in your life. He doesn't think that you know nothing. 
If you think that you just know enough to get by, well, you need to add to that so that you can genuinely get by and not just get by, but have an incredible life of wisdom. God knows. Psalm chapter 32 and verse eight says this, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Now, I remember taking my son, Kevin, out for the first time, learning how to ride a bicycle. Some of that was helped by, by, by his grandfather and some of it was put on with me. And I wasn't as fit as I used to be when he got riding. Now, you know, you dads know that when you get your son riding on a bicycle, you're going to have to do some running because you're going to have to hold him up and run alongside him until he can balance himself. And as he gets better and better and better, you have to start running faster and faster and faster. At first, you're holding him up completely. You're guiding him, you, you're balancing him, you're running and you're keeping him straight. You don't want him to fall off and get grazed knees. You don't want him to be afraid of falling off and afraid of riding his bicycle. So you guide him and you, and you keep in step with him and you, and you advise him on what he's got to do. And as you're running alongside him, giving him some guidance and guiding him, you're advising him and you're watching him and you're saying, no, push the steering like this, do that. Use, use your saddle to balance and you're giving him advice as you go. And slowly but surely, he becomes wise to riding a bicycle. Slowly but surely, he begins to get it right. And as you continue to guide, advise and watch, Eventually, part of that wisdom process means that the two of you celebrate. When you see your son flying down the road on his bicycle, having an absolute party on his bicycle, just enjoying the freedom, enjoying the wind in his hair, being able to get to his friends just down the road, there's a joy and a celebration that comes up in you that, hey, your son did it. He rode his bicycle. And then that all starts again when the training wheels come off. And slowly but surely, your son has to go through another process of you watching, guiding, advising, and providing that information on how he can take his next step in wisdom. This is the picture of God in your life. He's guiding, he's watching, he's advising all through your conscience, giving you advice, but he will never ever shout at you. He will never ever call you a fool. He will never ever berate you. He will never ever force his decision on you. No, he wants to be part of the walk with you. He wants to be part of learning to ride with you. He wants to be part of the journey with you because he knows that while you are in journey with him and asking him for advice, you will become wise. The minute you throw up your hands and say, I can't do it, or I know how to do it on my own, God will back off because He respects your decision. But wise people will push in and ask the greatest source of wisdom to monitor them, watch them, guide them, and advise with you. And finally, God will celebrate with you when you arrive at your, deci at your decision and your destination. One of my favorite movies of all time introduces the next point, the number three. Mr. Miyagi from Karate Kid. He said this, Daniel's son must walk. Walk on the road. Walk on the right side, safe. Walk on the left side, safe. Walk in the middle. Sooner or later, you get squished like grape. You see, Mr. Miyagi knew that you couldn't walk in wisdom if you couldn't make a decision. 
Step three of walking in wisdom is not quibbling about your decision. Once you've walked with wise people, once you've asked God for direction, you've spent time reasoning on this matter, make a decision. Your quibbling to make a decision gives room for the devil to sow in doubt. Whereas if you make a decision with the right heart, asking God, he will work for the good, even if that was possibly the wrong decision. But if we sit back thinking we've still got work to do, we can't do it, we might not succeed, we, we chase this imperfection, Satan can sow in doubt. Once you've walked with the wise, once you've asked God for wisdom, go ahead and take a decision. You're not waiting on God to make that decision for you. He won't make a decision. A decision not taken when you've consulted with the wise and you've asked God for direction is the bad decision. Take the decision. If God has provided peace in your conscience, spoken words of life into your decision-making process, take the decision. It says this in 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 1, when Paul was still trying to come and go and stay or whatever he was deciding on, he said this, so when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. When we could stand it no longer. In other words, when we came to the end of deliberation with God and with wise counsel, when we came to the end of that process, we took a decision and we decided to stay in Athens. You see, if you know that love and trust is the right thing to do, it's the wise thing to love and to trust even your enemies, says Scripture. Once you've counseled with wise people and figured out how to walk that out, once you've spoken to God about forgiveness for that person who hurt you and everything lines up, go ahead and make the decision and forgive the person that's hurt you. Don't hold back because if you hold back, that unforgiveness is still in your, in your heart. Satan is not gonna want to see you release the blessings of making a decision to forgive. He wants you to reason and think because if you reason and think, your selfishness kicks in and your flesh kicks in and you start making decisions that aren't walking in wisdom. Sometimes we're gonna make mistakes in our decision-making. Sometimes my son would have fallen off his bicycle. Sometimes he wouldn't have applied the things I'd asked him to apply in that little tree lane in South Africa there were many things lying on the road because of the trees that could hurt him. Sometimes I'm gonna to have to take him into the kitchen, take out some, some band-aids, take out the thorns and the thistles from his, from his feet and from his knees. And sometimes you're gonna to have to have some, some injury and some repair. Just because the outcome doesn't meet your expectation doesn't mean to say you didn't make a decision in wisdom. You did the very best with what you had at the time. You sought wise counsel and you asked God for direction. You listened to the wise counsel and you listened to what God had to say. And you made a decision. The three steps to making a wise decision. Well done. Sometimes because we live in a fallen world, it doesn't work out like that. We, won't, we go along to friends who say, you are healed in the blood of Jesus and their wisdom is right. We go to the Lord and He says, you have all authority to declare yourself healed. And so you make the decision not to take the tablets that the doctor prescribed. Well done. Was that the best decision? Probably not. 
Maybe it was a wise decision that didn't have the right outcome because as much as you can mix your wisdom with this world, this world is still broken. And so we might have to go back to the drawing board and seek another decision with wise counsel and with God. And we have to keep on, repeat and rinse, repeat and rinse as we walk through this journey of wisdom. You see, the journey of wisdom is not a once-off thing. It's a lifelong habit of seeking God's wisdom, seeking the counsel of wise friends. It's an ever-growing, ever-going process in our lives. God is always with me. Even if I don't get it right every single time, even if I don't get it right every moment of the day, God is always with me. He will always attempt to make my path straight. He will always attempt to do whatever it takes to make the decision work for the good because He knows that I love Him. That scripture tells me that if I walk, ask and decide, this is what the Lord will do. In Psalm 32 verse eight, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Making the right decisions in life means that we are willing to make mistakes even if we take the wise decisions. Sometimes wise decisions will cause hurt. Sometimes wise decisions won't be the easiest ones to make. But if I seek my friend's advice, wise friend's advice, not 1 Corinthians 15, 33 friends, wise friend's advice. And I seek and I ask God, I walk with my friends who are wise. I ask God and begin this journey with Him. And then I make the best possible decision I can. No one can ever question your wisdom and neither will God. His promise to you today is this. I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and I will watch over you. Let's pray together as we close out this message and then we'll wrap up directly after the prayer. Father, we thank you so very much that you are our Father, that you are ever wise and that you are wanting to give us that wisdom. Help us to walk the journey of wisdom. Help us to ask for your wisdom. And then Father, help us to make the decision, not in doubt or trepidation, but knowing and backing the wisdom that you have imparted to us. Father, we trust that scripture that if we ask for wisdom, you will give it, you will not judge us. And so Father, right now, all around the world, we pray for decisions that are being make, made, that the people making those decisions will ask for your wisdom and be willing to walk with you in wisdom as a friend. We pray for this direction. Father God, may you turn up the, the amplification of our conscience in wisdom. May it speak to us directly and lead us, we pray. We ask all of this now in Jesus' precious name. And all of God's people all around the world said, amen and amen.